Well, good morning, Genesis Church. How are we doing today? Doing well. It's good to see you. Hello to those of you that are tuning in with us online. If you are new or visiting, we're really glad to have you with us. My name's Jerry. I'm the campus pastor here at our Carmel location. And just in case you didn't hear Paul's message at the video message at the very beginning of service, for the next four weeks, we are going to be celebrating some really exciting things that God has been doing in and through our church family over the last two years. Two years ago, in February of 2020, we launched out on an initiative that we're calling Greater. And we said the purpose of Greater, we we want to accomplish three goals. First of all, we want to raise $7.5 million to help us increase our disciple-making efforts, where we are helping people understand who Jesus is and how to follow him and how to have a repeating pattern of disciple-making in their life. We wanted to increase our efforts there. We also wanted to reach our cities by increasing our uh, local impact through improving our facilities to be resource centers in our community. And finally, we said we want to change the world by growing in the discipline of generosity, giving away more money outside of the walls of our church. And if you've been around Genesis for the last two years, you probably remember the tangible sense of excitement that we had in February of 2020 as we were launching off on this journey together to raise $7.5 million to accomplish all those things over the next two years. But there's a really important part of the story that we cannot forget. It was a defining moment for our church family. After months of planning, we had selected Sunday, March the 15th of 2020 to be our commitment Sunday. This is the Sunday for several weeks we had built up and said, would you prayerfully consider making a written commitment to help us accomplish this goal of raising seven and a half million dollars? All that's going to happen on March the 15th of 2020. We were looking forward to it. But then three days before the entire world shut down. Do you remember that on Thursday, March the 12th? Do you remember where you were when you learned that everything was changing, that COVID had gripped our country, and we didn't really know what it was going to mean for us, right? I remember that Thursday afternoon being at our Noblesville campus meeting with our lead pastor, Paul Mumal, and we learned that the Big Ten tournament had been canceled, and we thought, that's strange. Things like that just, they don't happen. And then there were reports of businesses shutting down, and schools were closing, and then we were all waiting to hear about this order from the governor to stay at home. Do you remember that? Remember when that happened on that Thursday? And Paul and I were, were sitting there, and we were talking, like, what do we what do we do next? And I have never watched a decision weigh on him heavier than this decision. The question was, well, if, if churches and everybody's saying we're not going to meet in person, how do we have a commitment Sunday in, in just a few days? And we thought the wise thing was to not meet together. The problem was we didn't have online services. So how do you follow through on a commitment, on a commitment Sunday? But the bigger question was, were we going to be faithful to what we felt like God had been calling us to all along. Even though the game had changed, even though we were going into uncharted territory, are we going to be faithful to this thing that we felt like God was calling us to? And remember, when we called off services, we didn't have an online service to rely on. So how do you have a commitment Sunday when people can't meet together in person or or virtually? So we were launching out into this uncharted territory together, and after lots of prayer, we decided God's saying, This is an opportunity in faith. I want you to follow me, even though you can't tell where you're going. Let's go together. And so over the next two days, some really talented staff members, one of which was not me, put together 
our first ever online service for our Commitment Sunday. And as far as we know, we are the only church in all of Christendom to ever launch a Commitment Sunday that was 100% virtual. All right, so we're like, we don't even know if this, we've never done an online service, let's go do that and raise a bunch of money, right? And so that weekend, at the end of that weekend, we didn't know what was gonna happen. Many of you stepped out in faith with us and we collected $2.4 million in commitments over the next two years to help us raise $7.5 million. Now, $2.4 million is a lot of money and it was really encouraging to us. We're like, okay, people, people are moving with us. But if we're being honest, it seemed like a million miles away from our target of seven and a half million dollars. Now that was two years ago. And for the next four weeks, we want to celebrate what God has done in our church family over the next two years, or over the last two years. And I look out and I see so many new faces and some of you are like, what are you talking about? Trust me, this has been a journey for us. But let me share with you what God has done. Seven and a half million dollars for us meant that we were going to double our annual budget. We were going to set, out, set aside some money for a building fund, and we wanted to give away more than we've ever given away. It was a huge goal. We had $2.4 million committed. As of January 31st of this year, so not including February's giving, we're at $7 million. Yeah, isn't that exciting? Now, we're not, don't celebrate the dollar amount. That's, that's a movement of faith. That's us saying, okay, God, this, none of this makes sense, but we're going to follow your leading. So over the next four weeks, as we celebrate, we are just celebrating the tangible evidence of God saying, I want you to trust me. I want you to trust me. Are you willing to go where I'm calling you to go? And let's just keep being people that respond like that. So let's pray and let's celebrate God's goodness. And then we're going to jump into his word together. Father, we're, we're not clapping to celebrate a dollar amount. It's just evidence that you're with us. Because when we did that, we could not physically meet together and see one another. And for the first time in our history, we were online and we didn't know if any of it was going to work. But over the last two years, you have taken all of us on a journey of faith. And we still know that you're leading. And we just want to be faithful to go where you're calling us. Like Abraham, you're saying, I'll show you when we get there. And we keep saying, are we there yet? And you say, I'll show you when we get there. Would you help us to walk with you step by step by step? Thank you for your faithfulness to us. I'm thankful for the new faces that have become part of the Genesis Church family over this process. I'm thankful for the way you continue to grow us and shape us. Help us just to respond in faith to you, whatever you, to whatever you ask us to do next. Jesus, we love you and we praise you and we thank you. It's in your great name we pray. Amen. Now, the timing of this celebration is pretty cool also because, as many of you know, from the beginning of the year, we've been studying through the Gospel of John. But here's the thing. In the fall of 2019, we had selected a single verse from the New Testament to guide us on this journey. And the verse came from John 3.30, where John the Baptist clearly spells out what it looks like to follow Jesus. This is what he said. John says, he, Jesus, must become greater and I must become less. Now, here's what you need to know that was going on in John's life at this time. John the Baptist was a very famous preacher, and people were coming to him from all over to hear what he had to say. Hundreds of people every day were being baptized because he said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is near. John was on the map. He was a big deal. But his disciples came to him and said, hey, remember when you baptized that Jesus guy? Well, he's now got more followers than us. What are we going to do about this? And this is his response. This is a no-brainer. He, Jesus, must become greater and I must become less. 
Now, it seems pretty cool that that verse was part of our reading plan from last week as we continue to study through the gospel of John together this year. And I wish I could tell you we were that smart and strategic. We're not. It just fell that way. But man, what a fitting reminder of the verse that's been guiding us on this journey all along. And we want you to know we want that to be true for Genesis Church in everything that we do. When we pursue our dreams for the future, in everything, in all of our efforts, we want the name of Jesus to become greater so that we can become less in everything that we do. We don't want people talking about Genesis. We want to point people to Jesus. But here's the reality, and you know this. We say that we want the name of Jesus to become greater, but there's something inside of us that fights against that idea. It goes against the core of who we are. We might like the idea of making Jesus's name greater as long as it doesn't cause us to be uncomfortable, as long as it doesn't cost us anything. And let's be honest, we want the name of Jesus to become greater as long as we can just get a pat on the back along the way, right? We want people to kind of know what we're doing. But John the Baptist says, sorry, it doesn't work that way. In order for Jesus to become greater, you have to get out of the way. You have to become less. And so we're going to continue to pursue this mantra as we pursue greater moving forward. But today we're going to continue in our year-long study of the gospel of John. And what we're going to see is in John chapter 4, Jesus is going to model for his disciples what, this, what it looks like to always keep him at the forefront, even when it's not comfortable even when you feel a little out of place. So yeah, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn to John chapter four. And in John chapter four, we're gonna see how Jesus interacts with one unique person. And this one unique person's life is gonna be changed and transformed forever. But not just that, God's gonna use this one transformed life to transform an entire community. And so before we jump into the story, I want you to know that is what God wants to do in my life and your life. He wants to use your life and the way he's changed your life to impact everyone around you. So at the beginning of John 4, here's what we discover. Jesus is growing in popularity to the point that even the Pharisees realize Jesus is now more, this Jesus guy is more popular than that John the Baptist guy. We don't know what to do with either one of them, but all of a sudden Jesus is on the map and Jesus does something that's really unique. People are coming to him from all over and instead of playing to the crowds, this is his decision. He says, we're going to get out of town, boys. He left Judea and went back once more to Galilee, but now he had to go through Samaria. So Jesus says, we're not going to stay here. We're actually going to go someplace Differently. Now, this was a very strategic move by Jesus. It was going to cause anyone that would follow him to get uncomfortable. You couldn't help but be uncomfortable. And let me show you why. They were down here in Judea. So this is a map of ancient Israel, okay? Southern Israel, northern Israel. They were down here in Judea, and the crowds were getting huge. And John tells us, well, they were going to go to Galilee, and they had to go through Samaria, right? So Judea, Samaria, Galilee. And to us, as Americans 2,000 years later, we look at the map and we're like, well, that just makes sense. Like, of course, you would go this way. But here's what you need to know. The peop all of these people hated these people. And all of these people in Samaria hated all of these people. I mean, to put it in like a modern context, think Russia and Ukraine. Don't even bother coming here. We don't want to see you. You stay there, we stay here. This is, a, this is a, 
a battle that had raged for 700 years. And it was, it was fueled by race and religious practices. These people hated one another, hated one another. And so you get the picture, right? No good Jew would look forward to this journey that Jesus is going on. But this wasn't just a spur of the moment thing. John lets us know this wasn't random. Look back at John chapter four, verse four. John says, now Jesus, he had to go through Samaria. Here's what's interesting. John, who's writing the gospel of John, was likely traveling on this journey with Jesus. And somehow he knew Jesus, maybe he had told them, but it was obvious. Jesus says, we have to go through Samaria. There was a long way around, but they weren't taking the long way around. So I want you to think about this. Something is getting ready to happen that was part of God's divine plan for all humanity. And as we read this story, some of you might think, well, this is a familiar story. I know what happens, but pay attention to the details. So here's a question. Why Samaria and why now? Why would they, why would they take this journey? Now, maybe Jesus was going to travel through Samaria to thin out the crowds. He wanted to see who would really follow him if he went somewhere that everybody considered to be out of bounds. Maybe. Maybe he wanted to go to Samaria to see if his, how his disciples would respond when things got a little uncomfortable. Or maybe, maybe it was even more specific than that. Look at verse 5. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sakar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus Listen to this, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well, it was about noon. So John tells us, hey, just in case you were wondering, Jesus got tired, they went on a really long walk, and at the end of that walk, Jesus is sitting down, he is exhausted, and apparently, he was thirsty. Look at verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Look at verse 8, his disciples had gone into town to buy food, and so here's the picture. Jesus sits down, he's tired, he's thirsty. His disciples had gone away to get food in a Samaritan town, which would have been a really awkward thing for them, I would imagine. And Jesus is there all by himself around noon. And this woman comes up to the well and he says, hey, would you mind if I can get a drink of water? Might not seem like a big deal to us, but remember, these people did not like each other. But in spite of 700 years of religious and racial tension, Jesus did what he always did. He just embraced the tension. And he asks this lady for a drink of water. Now, to us, no big deal. But David Guzik points out that in this culture, a devout Jewish man would barely speak to his wife and his daughter in public, much less a Samaritan woman. And now Jesus is saying, hey, you got a cold bevy? Can you help me out a little bit? This is, guys, you, we cannot understand. This was so out of bounds. Nobody did this. Here's another fun fact. Jews hated Samaritans so much that anything that a Samaritan touched, a Jew would look at and say, that's unclean. I don't want to touch it. If I touch it, I become unclean. And Jesus is saying, hey, would you mind if I had a drink out of your water pitcher? Right? Like, you just don't do this. And the woman knew it. Look at verse 9. The Samaritan woman says to him, uh, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan and a Samaritan woman how can you ask me for a drink? Don't you know that we don't like each other? And then I love this, John, 700 years of hatred. And John says this, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. By the way, just so you know, these people don't like each other, right? And the, the woman's like, what are you doing? Look at verse 10. Jesus answered her. If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Now, what is Jesus talking about here? Now, in ancient cultures like this, there were a few different ways that people could get water. 
One way is like at this well, you would dig deep down into the ground and you would look for an underground source of water. Think of like an underground pond and you would draw water out of it and you would drink it. Or you could build a cistern and a cistern would be used to collect rainwater. Either one of those you could use for drinking. But here's what those two sources have in common. They were both still stagnant water. It wasn't flowing water. And the Greek word that John uses here for living water is actually referring to a fresh flowing running water source like a stream or a river. And that would have been a preferred method of drinking, right? If you had the, ch- if you had the choice between stagnant water in the ground or fresh water from a stream, I'm going to guess you're like me. You would choose water from a stream, right? So when Jesus offers this, wo- this woman living water, she's intrigued and she's like, okay, tell me more. Verse 11, sir, she says, you don't have anything to draw with and this well is deep. Where are you going to get this living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob, who gave us this well and drank from it himself, as also did his sons and his livestock? In other words, we have been coming here for generations to get water right here. There's no other water. Where are you going to get this water? Now, Jesus has her attention. She is asking questions. It doesn't make sense to her. And Jesus says, I'm going to go one more step further. Verse 13, Jesus answered, listen to these words. Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So Jesus takes advantage of this simple conversation about physical water and physical thirst, and he turns it into something spiritual. He knew that every day this woman and everyone in her village had to come to this spot at least once a day, if not multiple times a day to get the water that they needed just so they could have water to drink. But now Jesus says, I want to tell you about something that can fill you up spiritually. In his words, a source of living water that would well up inside of her to eternal life. And this woman must be thinking like, tell me more about this vitamin water. Tell me, is it like LaCroix, but is it actually, I won't be thirsty anymore? Because she asks, look at the question, sir, give me this water so I won't have to get, so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming to draw water. She thinks there's an actual source of water. She's thinking about her physical thirst. But here's what's interesting. If you keep reading, the next thing Jesus does, he sparks a conversation with her and he addresses a pattern of sin in her life. These conversations typically don't go very well. He says, why don't you go call your husband? And she says, I have no husband. And it comes to light that she has had five husbands and she's with a man now who is not her husband. She's looking for number six. And so Jesus addresses this pattern of sin in her life. But here's the thing. He didn't come at her in a way that was judgmental or condemning. He just is balancing grace and truth. And she doesn't run away. She actually leans in. And the longer the conversation goes, here's what's fascinating. She's the one that turns the conversation back to God. And she sparks a debate with Jesus. She says, well, where do you think the best place is to worship God? Is it here in Samaria or is it in Jerusalem? This is something that Samaritans and Jews had argued about for hundreds of years. And then this is how she tries to end the conversation. She says, look, verse 25, I know that the Messiah called Christ is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And this is the moment that Jesus had been waiting for. Look at his response. 
Then Jesus declared, I, the one that speaks to you, I am he. Who is he? He's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He is literally the one that she has been looking for. Now, this is really important. This is the first recorded instance in scripture where Jesus publicly declares to anyone that he's the Messiah. And it happens in a place that it shouldn't have happened. It happens with a person that no one would have ever anticipated. And it's the exact point in the story where things get really, really good. Look at verse 27. Just then, his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with the woman. You know why? Because you didn't do that. But no one asked, what do you want? Or why are you talking with her? Verse 28, then leaving her water jar. Why did the woman come to the well? She lugged that thing there to get water. And all of a sudden, something in her life is changing. She leaves it. Look what happens. The woman went back to the town and said to the people, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. He's such a judgmental jerk. That is not what she says. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? Verse 30, they came out of the town and they made their way toward him. Go back to verse four. John said, on this particular instance, they had to go through Samaria. And I think we can see why. On this particular day, this Samaritan woman had come there to draw water, to quench her thirst like she had every other day before. But then she encounters Jesus. And her life was changed forever. And she was so excited. I don't know if she forgot what she was doing, but she left and she went and told a bunch of people, you guys have to check this out. You should come and see this for herself. And it worked because people started coming. People from the city started coming to see who is this guy. The story doesn't make sense, except it's what happens. Now, two years ago, when we launched out on this greater journey together, we said one of the initiatives that we want to focus our efforts on is to reach our city for Jesus. And we think an important part of reaching our city is having facilities that can serve as resource centers to bless our local community. And over the last two years, we have worked to develop lots of partnerships where we can share our facilities with people. So for instance, during COVID, we partnered with Carmel um, Youth Assistance. They used our building for their students to come and use our internet because they were tired of learning at home and they needed a safe place to come. That's one example. We've partnered with Westfield Young Life, Carmel Wildlife, Campus Crusade, the folks at Opportunities Now office out of here on a regular basis. Some of you have hosted work meetings here. I'm in conversation with with one of you about hosting a health conference here later in the month of March. The Carmel campus has become a voting station for the city of Carmel. The city of Carmel reached out to us and asked if we could host a ribbon cutting ceremony for that amazing facility that's going in across the street. Now, those are just small examples. And the reason we take advantage of these examples or these opportunities is we want to build a bridge with our community so they can encounter Jesus. And when we started off on this greater journey two years ago, we made it really clear. We felt like God is calling us specifically to relocate our Noblesville campus. We've been there for several years. We leased that space. It's been a great home for us, but it just feels like God is saying, hey, it's time to go. Where are we going to go? 
It's just time to go. I just need you to follow me. Now, two years ago, when we launched out on this, we had approximately zero dollars set aside. That's approximate, but it's approximately zero (laughs) for a building fund. It was real easy to count. Two years later, listen to this, two years later, we have $2.6 million set aside for a building fund to help us find a, a new location for our Noblesville campus. We have more money saved up now than we were actually pledged early on. That's super encouraging. And just so you know, we've been shopping the area in Noblesville and we've, got a, we've, we've looked at different places and we've got a place, we've got our eye on a place, we've visited, we've taken our staff there and we are just saying, God, if this is it, would you please let us know? We would love to share the details with you when we have them, we are waiting patiently, but in the meantime, would you just join us and pray? Because we want to do whatever God wants us to do. And also, you've probably noticed here at the Carmel location, we've been making some updates. We added the new room up front where we've got a photo booth out there today and where we host Intro to Genesis on a regular basis. We've painted the exterior of the building and it needed it and the interior of the building. And we're looking at some other projects because we want this space to be a resource for you and for all the people out there. And here's what we know. Facilities do not reach people for Jesus. People reach people for Jesus. But facilities can be the meeting place where that happens. Jesus met with that woman at the well. And we would love for this to be a place where people can interact with Jesus, whether they're part of the Genesis family or not. But let's go back to that woman's story. On that day at that well, through the power of God, she came looking to quench her physical thirst and she left that day satisfied in the deepest longings of her soul. And it happened at the moment that she took Jesus at his word and said, I believe that you are the Messiah. And her life was changed. But what we're getting ready to see is that Jesus used her changed life to change her entire community. Look at verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town, people that did not like Jewish people, they believed in Jesus because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with us, for, stay with him for two days. Can you imagine how awkward this would have been for his disciples? Like, we just want to get out of here. Two days. They hung out for two days, but look at what happens. Verse 41. After two days, because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves. We know that this man, listen to this. We know that this man is the savior of the world. All because this woman put her faith in emotion. You know what's really cool about this? She didn't say, you know what I need to do? I need to, I need to get together with a planning committee and we need to come up with a really good marketing campaign and we need a budget She didn't do any of that. She just activated her faith and went and told the people that she came in contact with every day and they started coming and it worked. Now, if you're fascinated by that story, you should be. And this is what God wants to do in my life and in yours. He wants us to share what Jesus is doing in and through us to bring people to him, to reach people in our city. And every Sunday, Hundreds of us gather here and in Noblesville and online, and we celebrate, we sing, we celebrate generosity, we enjoy being together. And then hundreds of us meet throughout the course of the week in homes and in living rooms and in cafes and on campus, and we celebrate this fellowship thing that we've got called the church. But Jesus says, I want you to take the celebration with you on the road. 
I want you to take it home with you later today. I want you to take it to work with you tomorrow and to school on Tuesday afternoon and on the bus and at the fire station and at the grocery store. Everywhere you go, take me with you and tell other people about how I've changed your life because I want to use you to reach those people for me. We are not called to be good Christian people that go to church on Sunday. The New Testament never says that. We are called to live on mission and to reach our city for Jesus. And just like the Samaritan woman, we are not able to do that unless we have found our full satisfaction in who Jesus is. The turning point in this story happens when Jesus confronts this woman about her pattern of sin. And he says, go and call your husband. And she says, I have no husband. And we learn she's had five and she's looking for number six. But think about this pattern. In John 2, there was a wedding with no wine and it didn't look good. Last week in John 3, there was a man named Nicodemus who had no righteousness on his own. Later, there's gonna be a crowd that has no bread. There's gonna be a blind man that has no sight. And there's a man in John 11 named, Nick, uh, named Lazarus who has no life. He's dead. All of these people had a deep inner desire that they needed fulfilled. And Jesus meets all of those desires, even bringing someone back from the dead. And so here's the truth. Me and you, the rest of the world, we're all dying of thirst. We are looking to so many things to satisfy and quench our souls. And just like that woman, we go back to the same old well over and over and over again. We look to our relationships for ultimate fulfillment. We look to our work for validation. We trust in our stuff and in our money and our bank accounts for security. We look to our social standing for security and identity. We consume media and we scroll through. Think about this. We scroll through endless feeds trying to be satisfied by the way other people live. It's like drinking salt water. It only leaves us thirsty and it'll kill us. There are people in our world that are thirsty and they are dying and they need to be quenched with the way Jesus came. Listen to what Jesus says to this woman again in verse 13 and 14. He says, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. That woman's life was changed the moment she confronted her sin and said, I think you can do something about it. And it transformed her entire community. It's the same offer that Jesus makes to every one of us. Now, if you have received that offer, stop going to church and let's start being the church. Let's reach our city for Jesus. And we do it together. But don't just punch a card. Don't just sing some songs. Don't just give some money. Let's go and reach our city for Jesus. That's what he's called us to. But if you have never received the offer that Jesus has made to you, he wants to quench the deepest longing of your soul. All he says is, look, trust in me as the Messiah. Trust that when I died on that cross, I've paid for all of your sins. And here's the amazing thing. When you do that, the writers of the New Testament tell us, your sins are forgiven. Your relationship with God is restored. He fills you with his Holy Spirit. He adopts you into his family. You become his child. 
And then he says, I want to use you to reach the world. If you have never received that invitation from Jesus, from where you're sitting right now, you can pray a really simple prayer. Just say, Jesus, I admit I've, I've sinned against God. I receive the gift that you have made, that you've given on my behalf, your life for mine. And you're forgiven, you're restored, you're renewed. But I want you to take a next step. I want you to find me or Kevin today after service. We'd love to celebrate that with you and help you take a next step in your journey with Jesus. If you're tuning in with us online, email us at info at genesischurch.me so we can follow up with you because we wanna help you reach our city, the people in life that matter to you for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, I'm thankful for this woman's story. Jesus, I'm thankful that you were always willing to go and travel out of bounds or the places where people thought were out of bounds and you would talk with people that everybody else would avoid. You never disobeyed your father, but you never had all, you never struggled to break our phony rules to reach people. Jesus, would you help us to follow your example? Would you help us to follow the example of this Samaritan woman that we would just run to the people that we know and say, come and see who Jesus is. Holy Spirit, would you give us a spirit of boldness to move and to reach our city for Jesus? I pray for anyone that's listening to my voice right now, Jesus, that has never received that Holy Spirit. I pray that you would help them to be brave today and to receive the gift of eternal life that you offer and that they would tell someone. They would tell us so we could celebrate with them and help them take a next step. Thank you, God, for your faithfulness to our church family. We're thankful that it's not just our church family, it's your church family all over the world. Would you help us to be on mission to reach our city and our world for you, Jesus? We love you and we praise you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.